0: We're going to continue our journey uh, through the Sermon on the Mount, except as you know, last week, the preacher disrupted a bunch of things. If you were here last week, you know the preacher got loud, the preacher yelled, the preacher sang, and um, there was a lot of stuff going on, and I will say, as the one who was preaching last week, I will say... Um, I felt like I was confronting an actual principality last week. And so I got home and I said, Lord, I was rough. And I, I don't want people to think I was rough with them. And um, felt like I, me and the Lord got, got to a good place. But felt like this week I needed to go back after this big war that I had last week with Mammon right in front of everybody. It was just a battle scene here. To come back and for us to pastorally and patiently. Uh, See where we go from here. Okay, y'all good for that? We'll read the scripture again. Matthew chapter 6, verse 19, all the way to 24. It says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust consume and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust consumes, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for a slave will either hate the one and love the other, or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. Some of your translations will say, you cannot serve God and mammon. I want to summarize some of the big points from last week and then we'll press into to this week mammon uh, I learned from Rusty when he was growing up anytime he heard the word mammon he was reminded of the word salmon and what I want to say to kick off is that that's not what mammon is mammon is not salmon and that's why they pay me so much to put sermons together. Mammon is a spirit, it is a principality. It is one of the few words that we have in the New Testament that actually wasn't translated from Aramaic into English, it was left in its original Aramaic, which was this word mammon. Um, because it was the name of this spirit, it was uh, it was this principality, it was this power. Uh, what we talked about last week was a book I referenced called "The Life We're Looking For" by Andy Crouch, and he says this about Mammon. He says Mammon does want something very much indeed, because Mammon is ultimately not at all just a thing, nor even a system, but Mammon is a will at work in history. And what it wants, what Mammon wants above all, is to separate power from relationship, to separate abundance from dependence, and being from personhood. We'll hash those out in more detail today. Mammon seduces us, this is the seductive power of mammon. It it seduces us by promising what we were made for. So mammon actually hits on something. Like all deceptions, it hits on, uh, it perverts a divine desire. And what mammon perverts is the life that we were made for, which is a life of abundance. In Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, have you ever read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? You know that there's a lot of stories that just don't make it in all four of them, right? one of the few stories that makes it in every gospel—Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John—is this story, where Jesus is preaching to a crowd. They're hungry. Uh, the source of food is too far away. Um, there is a few pieces of bread and a few fish, and Jesus doesn't fret. He says, "There's more than enough here," because. Jesus has what is called a generous eye. This is what we're, we were just talking about in 22 and 23. If your eye is healthy or generous or single, so Jesus has a healthy eye. He has a way of seeing the world as a place of abundant provision. So when he saw that there was an offering of bread and fish, he said, There's plenty. That story is the only story that makes it into Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. This story where Jesus opens up the reality that there is more than enough. Now, in our country, one of Mammon's expressions—not um, always, but one of its—it's its, uh, one of the media of Mammon is the dollar in this country. And what happens? In the United States, there is currently, I looked this up, oh, how much money is currently in print in the United States, is it 2.8 trillion dollars, is that what it was? 2.8 trillion dollars is currently in active currency in the United States, okay? So if I give Robert $20 of United States currency, what does that mean, In, in all reality, what does that mean about the $20 that I have? I had $20. I give it to Robert. Now, what does that mean about my relationship with $20? I absolutely do not have it anymore, okay? Because Mammon's system is a system that, by its nature, is a finite scarce resource, Mammon functions in a world and creates a reality where if Robert prospers, I am experiencing my demise. If, if, if Darman has a prosperous week, then I realize that I have had something taken from me. We'll talk about this shortly, but this is the world we're in. I I did a little math yesterday while we were at the restaurant. If you took all of the money that is currently in circulation in the United States, and I changed up our, our figure a little bit. If you took all the money that's currently in circulation in the United States, divided that by the number of adults in the United States, just the number of adults. Guess how much money every adult would have? Surprisingly, not a lot—six thousand seven hundred bucks. Six thousand seven hundred dollars. That's not a lot of money. Um, We'll talk about all this why why this makes sense in a little bit, and why this makes sense of. the correlation between why we can't observe, uh, observe our neighborhood Facebook page without being provoked to murderous envy. All these things go together. Mammon seduces us by promising what we were made for. What we were made for? A life of abundance. But here's what Mammon does and this is what Andy Krause was pointing to. Mammon offers us abundance without dependence. This is big. Mammon offers us abundance without dependence, which means mammon says you must get enough so that you do not have to rely on anybody else. This is a seductive allure of mammon. This is how mammon is able to keep us going after more and after more and after more. The evil eye, this this thing we're talking about in 22 and 23, the evil eye sees the world through I. That's the the capital letter I. The evil eye sees the world through I. The eye that has been transformed, the healthy eye, the single eye, the generous eye, no longer sees I, capital I, but sees us. I want to give you an example. Um, Last week, my wife was afforded a paycheck she did not earn my wife's paychecks are great she's a doctor and they pay her like a doctor she's not like a discount doctor um, so when she gets a paycheck it's nice it's a lot of money and we're on maternity leave she's not supposed to get paid they accidentally paid her the week I was out in Colorado well ne- neither of us get to rest in that we're like Ugh, that sucks cuz now we got some minor accounts, not real. We got to get it back somehow. That's gonna be a hassle. But I'd been praying because we weren't making any money. I don't make any money, as most of you know that. Um, and M is our breadwinner, so I didn't realize on maternity leave we're not getting no money. So I was praying uh, about a week prior, like, Lord, give us a bit, you know, because we got a lot of folks we support throughout the week. It sure would be nice if we could do that. And I like five-dollar coffees. I just do. Um, so I was asking him. Um, and all of a sudden, we get this check. And M calls her work. They said, well, what we'll do is um, we'll just take away your vacation days for next year and let you keep the check. She said, no, no, no. Don't do that. I didn't want the check. My husband wanted the check. No, she didn't say that. Um, long story short, she got to keep her vacation days and we got to keep the check all right well here's what we knew though we didn't need all that so i said okay lord um whose is that because the generous eye and i've been on this journey of the generous eye and the 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 evil eye for jen how long at least since i've known you since 2014 i'm trying to figure out how do you see the world through a healthy eye and so I knew that this was not for us. This was not so that I could buy the boots I've been wanting or the watch I've been wanting because I do want those things. And I just had not got permission in, I don't know, eight years. Um, so I said, it's got to be for somebody. And then a friend of mine had a need. I said, well, that was easy. Uh, it was because they, they had a need. And it didn't even hurt to give it because it was like, this is the way it works. That, God had given us that. It wasn't for I. It was for us. And because we are in a relationship of dependence, my friend didn't have to stress, and neither did I. Okay? So this is where we're... I'm just trying to open us up into this world of what this looks like. Because, we talked about this last week, we're almost done with the summary, and we've been going for 10 minutes. Jesus Christ, I was trying to have a 15-minute sermon. That ain't gonna work. All right. Economics, which is our... Uh, way in this in our world, it's this way that we measure, it's the science that we measure the allocation of resources. Lionel Robbins says this, he says, economics is the science which studies human behavior as a relationship between given ends and scarce means which have alternative uses. Key word there, scarce. The person who can see reality and I'm talking about what is actually true the person who can see what Jesus was able to see when he took five loaves and two fish and he blessed it and he broke it the person who's able to see that sees the universe as a place of abundance not scarcity The person who sees the universe as a place of scarcity is the person who sees through the evil eye. It's the person who sees the way that Cain saw. Okay? The evil eye will make you say something like this. It sure must be nice. It sure must be nice. That's looking at the world through an evil eye. The evil eye will make you say stuff like this. That Donnie gets all the breaks. He gets every doggone break. If if you're saying these things, I want you to know it's time to repent. What repent means, this word metanoia or the Hebrew word nakham, which means to change the way you see. We talked about this last week, that the first thing that John mentions when he says, he calls the people a brood of vipers and he says, repent. They say, how must we repent? Everything he told them had to do with money. When Zacchaeus lets Jesus into his house, he's just Jesus and him have a time together, and the first thing he does is, I'm going to give half of my stuff to the poor. Jesus didn't tell him nothing about it. Something about encountering Jesus changed the way he saw resources. The early church, as soon as they're filled with the Spirit, they start speaking in other languages. One of the first things they do is sell their extra stuff so that they can give to those who do not have. Something about repentance changes the way we see stuff. It's important we see this. Something about God changes the way I see provision. Abundance changes the way I see who I am responsible for. I'm preaching again. I said I'll just pastorally nurture. Now here's what we're going to talk for this week. Matthew chapter 20, verse 15, gave us insight, more insight than we could have gained anywhere else on the evil eye. I want to summarize that story, and then we're going to just talk generous eye for the morning. So there was, Jesus tells a story. uh, There was a landowner who had a vineyard. He went out to the marketplace very early in the morning, hired people who were standing idle in the marketplace to work for him he said will you work for me for denarius today they said yes they come to work all right so they're working he comes back at the third hour of the day there's some more folks standing idle in the marketplace he says you want a job they said yes he said i'll hire you for denarius today they said yep sign me up they go work for him sixth hour of the day people still standing idle he says you need a job yep need a job they get a job how much they getting paid all right then he goes back at the 11th hour of the day one more hour before closing time there's still people standing idle he says you need a job yep need a job Uh, I'll hire you for a denarius a day they said sounds great they go work now everybody that's working has agreed to their wage everybody that's working didn't have a job prior to the generous landowner providing them the job everybody that's working is working in a system of justice it's all fair in the system at the end of the day The landowner decides he's going to pay the person he hired last first. And so he, Kathy was the one, she was there at the 11th hour of the day. He comes up and he hands her a denarius. And something happens. People who should have been grateful for a day's wage, for a day's labor, then become murderous. 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 All because Kathy got paid a denarius now here's where we get to see whether or not we have an evil eye here's what the landowner said he said am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me or are you envious because I am generous the ASV says is your eye evil because of my generosity is your eye evil because of my generosity? Now let's look and see. What evoked the evil eye? Say again, Jean? Yeah, absolutely. It wasn't, now this is what we usually think about mammon. We usually think in this conversation Jesus is having in Matthew 6 that what would have evoked it would have been, say somebody had this windfall of a big paycheck and then they get like real greedy and they start accumulating wealth, and they start going after it. It wasn't that. That was not the root of mammon's power, which is very interesting. Because that's usually how, when you think about Jesus scolding the worship of mammon, what do you usually think about? S-putting, storing up junk in barns, right, all this stuff. What this parable is showing us is that the evil eye was evoked not by what someone themselves possessed, but what they saw another receive. This is why. I talked about this a minute ago. This is why, for most of us, one of the most physically, mentally, spiritually debilitating things we can do is scroll social media. And here's why. Here's why. Because. As we scroll, what we have is this uh, omnipresent superpower to observe the curated life of our neighbor. Guess what the curated life of your neighbor is going to look like? For the most part, it's going to be a good one. A good doggone life. And so here you are looking out the window. We're, we're metaphors here. We're looking out the window and seeing what, what's all the neighborhood doing today. This is the neighborhood now. All right, so we're, um, oh, God, that's awesome. But it ain't awesome. They will need to burn in hell. Ever, ever burn in hell, burn in hell, burn in hell. that's. hell. That's, that's how we do that. We could take the same medium, this same thing of social media, and it could produce in us so much joy and gratitude for what is available, but I don't know, I don't know what it's going to take for us. Think about this. Have you ever received a reward or an award and went to tell somebody about it and you could tell in telling them that you were stealing from them? You ever done that? You ever had a birthday party and nobody show up? That's not called a birthday party. We know as people who receive good things that they're only good if we can share them. We know that. But what the evil eye does is it convinces us to be the thief of our neighbor's joy. Oh, you had something good happen? You get all the breaks, Darvana. Must be nice. When what she has is not good unless she can share it. What I've learned about God is oftentimes He will not entrust us with prosperity until we can rejoice in the prosperity of another. Yeah, if I can say it. Um, yeah, God will not, oftentimes, God will not reward us with prosperity if we are unable to rejoice in the prosperity of another. Whether or not you see reality, and when I say reality, I'm talking about God's world as it actually is is determined by whether or not you can celebrate the good of another. I talked about this last week. Cain murders his brother who had to be his friend, who had to be one. I mean, they ain't talking to a lot of folks. As far as I know, there's four of them. As far as I know. Um, and here's why he does it here is why he does it abel offers a sacrifice to god and it is pleasing to god cain offers a sacrifice to god and god's like that one could have been better but god is not mad at cain cain's not in trouble but abel's sacrifice received public recognition and here's what cain said he said abel is the thief of my identity because he prospered, I have been destroyed. And I'll tell you what I do to people who attack me. I kill them. There's more than enough joy for all of us. This is the difference between that system I was talking about when mine and Robert's exchange earlier. If Jesus is able to feed the multitude with five loaves and two fish... He's not saying it's five loaves and two fish that equal this amount. He's saying, "It just give me something and I'll give you everything. It's not like this will always equal that. He said, no, no, no. Something will always equal everything. Don't believe the lie that someone's joyful experience is robbing you of yours. Actually, go ahead and share in theirs. How much more joyful could I be if I could actually celebrate another's prosperity? Oh, the immeasurable joy when someone else's success reminds me of God's abundant generosity rather than provoking me to envy, reminding me of lack. May we no longer be envious because God is generous. The tone of voice you use to say this this statement, I'm about to say the following statement, the tone of voice you use to say this statement will determine a whole lot about the level of joy in your life. Here's the statement. I don't deserve any of this. The tone you use will determine your level of joy. The thing about Mammon's system is we can't have enough of what we don't need. This is why we're addicted to sugar. No joke, by design. We can't have enough of what we don't need. One of the most beautiful things about seeing the world through a generous eye is that we are able to say, That's enough. Thank you, God. I'll tell you a story, just a practical story of how, once again, trying to make this more practical because I, I do know that I stay in the theological clouds a lot. Um, Emily and I moved down here from Knoxville. I had been working uh, with Ironwood Tree Care where Mark works, and I bought this big old truck so that I could haul the wood chipper and haul the um, trailer when it was full of chips, and it was a big old truck, big old nice truck, and uh, I I had to have room to have car seats so it's a big old fancy thing I got down here and I told him I said you can't be a pastor preaching the message I'm going to preach and drive this truck so we sold it because the message would have been conflicted by the what the preacher pulled up in alright we couldn't hear him so we sold it and uh, we needed another car right Um, because around here not not a lot of great sidewalks in Trickham Valley which is where we were living at the time and so we decided we're going to buy a vehicle. And so what I realized is because of the money we had in our savings account, and because of Emily's income, we could have purchased every vehicle, not every, any vehicle on the lot at Buster Miles. And I told her, I said, what we need to do, the only way we're ever going to be uh, to to see this as a gift from God is if we limit our options. I'm walking you through my whole scenario of learning how to live in this this way of thinking. So we got to limit our options. So let's say we will only buy a vehicle from Buster Miles. All right, check. Number two, we will only buy a Toyota. have you know it's not Buster Miles Toyota. All right, so that was another limiting factor. Um, We we host a lot of people at our house, which means we almost always have a caravan of folks in our car. So we said it's got to have enough room to haul at least our children and at least two more folks. So we needed something that would do that. So we we put that on the list. Emily says, I want leather seats. I say put it on the list. I say, I want it to have less than 50,000 miles. we put it on the list. I need it to have four-wheel drive because I'm using it as my deer hunting vehicle. So this thing had to be particular, you know. We go to Buster Miles with this list. Is it a Toyota? Is it less than 50,000 miles? Does it have four-wheel drive? Does it have enough room where we can seven folks? If it had all those things, we bought it. And guess what? We showed up. It was there. We got it. It was the only vehicle there that fit those specs. The reason I'm telling you that is because oftentimes we don't understand God's system of abundance because we are seeing we still see abundance through the the evil eye, through mammon's cosmology and in mammon's cosmology, abundance is excess it is more than you need it is, I will throw this away because I can't consume it all but through the generous healthy eye you have a way of going about Things where you can say, thank you. In a real, real sense, thank you, God, that is enough. One of the most pervasive demonic forces in our country is a principality, a demon named consumerism. And do you know that one of the most militant postures someone can assume against the demonic superpower of consumerism is the attitude that says that's enough, thanks. No, that's enough. I got so far to go. And we've been going for 30 minutes. Did I do that again? I brought my loafers just to try to be sweeter today. Let me just read straight off of here, and I'll quit preaching. I'm just going to read what you got, and then we're going we're gonna to call it a day. Under the influence of mammon, one does not even have permission to be good at something without feeling the social obligation of financially capitalizing on that something. Even more specific, the culture of mammon would not allow someone to even believe she was good at something unless she was able to capitalize. Under mammon's cosmos, that's mammon's order, there's no possibility of wholeness precisely because wholeness would dismantle mammon's entire system. Mammon needs us deficient. It needs us saying, I don't have... I want, and what the crazy radical Psalm 23 says is something so dumb, according to Mammon system, that the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Come on, loafers. I sense, this is Kathleen Norris. She said I sense that striving for wholeness is increasingly a countercultural goal in our culture, a countercultural goal, striving for wholeness. Because fragmented people make for better consumers. They buy more bits and pieces. Two or more cars, two or more homes, fill them all. Outfit your body for a wide variety of identities. Wear all sorts of costumes. Be a business person, be a homebody, be an amateur athlete, be a sports fan, and be a traveler. Because who you are is not enough. Our conscience in this cosmos is shamed at the idea of rest, so we have to preach, we have to disguise our attempts at rest with something productive. Y'all need to hear that. Our conscience in this culture is shamed at the idea of rest. Rest. Why do we experience collective dis-ease? What is dis-ease? D-I-S hyphen ease. The inability to be at ease, to rest. Our conscience is shamed at the idea of rest, so we have to disguise our attempts at rest with something productive. We must come out of rest with something to show for it. Unfortunately, unless we're able to break away from the demands of productivity, we could never be the type of people who did not need to produce in order to be whole. I'll say that one more time because I'm gonna wrap it up. Unfortunately, unless we are able to break away from the demands of productivity, we could never be the type of people who did not need to produce in order to be whole. The lamp of the body is the eye, if therefore your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. Your entire body will be filled with light as soon as you can change how you see. The generous eye doesn't see I, it sees us. The generous eye celebrates the success of another, the prosperity of another is able to be joyful when another receives praise. The generous eye realizes that God is the abundant source of provision, of joy, of peace. And when he gives to Robert, that doesn't mean he doesn't have. He is a well, an eternal spring. I don't know how he keeps getting it, but he every time he gives it away, he gets more of it. And if you have ever been somebody who has participated in this, this way of giving, you realize, every time I gave it away, I thought I got rid of it and I got more of it. It's the nature of seed. You think you're losing it, then it dies and it comes back and you get more of them. And you get to eat some of it. This is the nature of the kingdom. Jesus said this in Mark chapter 4. He said, if you want to understand the kingdom... All the other parables are going to hinge around this one. And then he tells this parable that's the parable of the sower. Because this whole thing is about this system. that's something about if, if we can give it away. Thomas Merton said this. He said, what we can give away. How do you say it? Yeah, he said, um, we only possess what we can give away. What we can't give away possesses us.